Hey, just a heads up that the following content may be disturbing or triggering for some listeners and is not appropriate for children. Please take care of yourself and others who may be listening with you. Welcome to the Bonus Babies Podcast, a show that has no easy answers, only hard questions. I have my on and off days. Like some days, I think, is it even really worth it? You know? I mean, is it really worth it to, like, work most of my life just to, like, get 10 years of, like, staying in a bed in some retirement home? You know? Is it really worth it? But then sometimes I think back to the things I've gone through, and if I just give up now, then I'm letting them win in a way. I can do it that I shouldn't let anything hold me down. And the only thing that controls the path in my life is myself. Can you tell me what you call the kids who you've cared for over the years? We feel that the children that we receive coming into our home are bonuses. So we call them bonus babies. I love that. This is your host, Jane Amelia Larson, and I'm Akasa, a court-appointed special advocate volunteer for youth in foster care. Yeah, I know, it's a mouthful. In the same way Akasa works, I explore all things in the foster care maze by talking to kids, parents, caregivers, attorneys, social workers, therapists, really anybody and everybody who will speak to me to keep the conversation open and the information flowing about all things CASA. Hi, this is Jake Everly, the producer of the Bonus Babies podcast. And today, Jane Amelia speaks with Breon Johnson. She's a former foster youth adopted at birth. At 15, she was placed in the foster care system, which truly failed her. She's now a student at Santa Monica College, studying to be a storyboard artist and a writer, and interning at Skydance Animation. Here's a story. Hello, I'm here with Breon Johnson. Breon, hi. Hi. Hey, we did it. Okay, we're on. Yeah. <laughs> it took us a couple times to, to schedule this, but here we are. So tell me, where are you from? How are you raised? Give me a little bit about that background. Well, I was born in like Danil Valley. Where's that? Like Lancaster, Palmdale area. Uh-huh, up there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I grew up like in a very small city that's even smaller than that called Lake Los Angeles. Lake Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I never heard of that. That's great. <laughs> and what are your first memories as a child? I spent a lot of my time as a kid by myself, playing by myself, because my adoptive dad and parents wouldn't let me like play with the other kids for some reason. Right. Oh, you were adopted as a baby, right? And mm-hmm. the couple was older? Yeah. And so they just wanted you on your own all the time? I guess so. And did they play with you? Mm-mm. You don't remember that at all, huh? Mm-mm. So what what happened when you were five, Brian? Um. So when I was five, my adoptive mom, she would be the main person that would take care of me. Like we had like a little farm, and so I'd help her on the farm. But her husband, my adoptive dad, he was very he wasn't a nice person. And they would constantly get in fights and stuff like that. And he would hit her and stuff like that. But she would always try to protect me from him. And you saw that? You saw him hit her? Mm-hmm. She was going to leave him, but I don't know what happened. But she ends up, 
like staying with him and then um I don't know I got a feeling out of somewhere and I asked her why she was gonna die and she told me oh don't say that like well, yes we all do die eventually but like don't say that and then the next week she does pass so you had a like a premonition mm-hmm. and then she died how, how did you feel what what happened I wasn't completely sure as a kid. Um, I just thought that she, like, went somewhere. Oh, yes. In fact, I was just talking about this on a podcast the other day, that often little kids were told that, that the like, their mom went to heaven or, like, she's sick, so she went away or something. They don't, they're not straight with the kid. They're, they don't say she's dead and she's never coming back, and they don't explain what death is. Yeah. So that's what happened to you. You thought... Like, she just went away? Mm-hmm. Did you think she left you? Um, yeah. In the beginning, from what I remember, because my adoptive dad, he didn't want to take care of me anymore, so he gave me to his daughter to take care of. And every time I would get in trouble with her, like, she wasn't as nice either, and I think it was because of what she grew up with and stuff. But so she would get mad at me for little things. And every night I would talk to myself as I go to bed. And I would be like, oh, like, I, why, why did, would you leave me to, like, deal with this and stuff like that? Like you were talking to your mom and, and asking her why she left you? Yeah. Hmm. So you were in and out of that older sister's house? Or, like, I mean, she, I guess she was a true sibling, but even though you were adopted... Um, so you were in and out of there and then your dad got sick later but you also found out he had a certain history so what tell me about that so after a couple years my um sister couldn't take care of me anymore so I went back with to live with my adoptive dad and he was abusive but he got stranger if that makes sense like he started believing weird stuff you mean like he was hearing voices or becoming psychotic? or Yeah, yeah, like that. He believed people were watching us. And he even bought stuff to check for, like, checking devices and stuff like that. Right, so he was checking for bugs to see if someone had, like, like put surveillance in the house? Yeah. Oh, so he was paranoid. Yeah. And was he taking care of you? Like, were you going to school? Were you fed? Were you clothed? When, um, for clothes, we didn't, we barely got any new clothes. Um, and I think that's where the teachers started noticing. And that's how he was getting reported and stuff. I see. So your teacher who is, who was presumably a mandated reporter, she sees something that's amiss, like a bruise or some kind of neglect, or if you smell like you haven't bathed, she's Mm -hmm. obligated to report it. Yeah. So what happened? Because it turned out he had many reports of abuse. Yes. So when I was 15, he got really sick and he couldn't see out of his one of his eyes. And for me and my siblings escape, we loved going to school every day. Like we would spend so much time at school just to get away from him. And one day we couldn't go to school because he couldn't see and he was gotten really sick. And I stayed with this lady that he would pay to cook for us 
during um the weekdays. And so I called her. She came and picked us up and stuff. And then my two other um, step-siblings, they ran away to school. Right. I didn't realize. So I'd, I'd forgotten to ask you about that. So you, there were other kids in the house besides you. Mm-hmm. And were they also adopted or were those his bio kids? No, they were also adopted. I see. So, like, there was a whole family of adopted kids mm-hmm. and that he didn't really want, but presumably your mom wanted. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, she passed when you were really young, and then he was stuck with all these kids he didn't want. Yeah. Hmm. Like, before I got away from him, he would always leave me and my siblings either in the car or at home like he would have the you know when you lock the door you lock it from the outside with the key he had it locked inside really so he would leave us there the whole day or as we got older he would leave us at like fast food places for the whole day um without any money or anything um, so we'd have to go around begging people for money to get even, like, little toys and stuff. Wow, awful. Really awful. So so your two half-siblings then, or two adopted siblings, they ran away, you said, at yeah. that at that same time that you called the woman who took care of you. Yeah. And um, we find out that they made it to school. But she took care of us for a week because he had to go to the hospital. But during that time, I got to see what it was to be in like a normal life mm-hmm. and what it was. And so the day before, like our last day, I told her like everything that my adoptive dad was doing that was abusive. And she, she, to me, she seemed like she cared at the time um, and stuff like that. And so he came to pick us up. And he was angry at us for some reason. I don't even know why. But he told me when I got in the car, like, when I get home, I'm going to beat your ass. And at that time, I was like, if I don't do anything now, I'm going to continue to live like this. And so that's when I told him, I'm like, you're not going to put your hands on me anymore. You stood up to him. Yeah. And and then he was like, what? And I said, you're not going to put your hands on me anymore and he goes to hit me and I hit him back and his face was like surprised because um to him I was like the kid that didn't really do like I I don't seem like a kid that does much against like go out of my way to like break rules and stuff right how how old were you 15. when that happened you were 15 mm-hmm. and that's when you went into foster care mm mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that didn't turn out too great either, right? So tell me about that. Yeah, so um, I didn't move around a lot, but um, I stayed with my foster mom until I was 18. But she would say, like, little things. She would call me disgusting and stuff. Or if I was going to sit on the couches or something, I had to sit on it with a sheet and stuff. And one time we got into an argument. And she said, like, if your dad was here, you wouldn't be doing all that. So I want you to know, Brian, that those aren't little things. Those are terrible things that she was doing. Truly terrible. Nobody should talk to a child like that or a teenager. Yeah. And what did she think? That your dad was 
like a good guy that was going to somehow set you straight? Because he wasn't. No, he wasn't. And the lady, she was the same lady that cooked for us. And one time, when we were over and she cooked for us, my stepbrother, um, he stole her daughter's video game. And he got caught. And my adoptive dad beat him till he was bloody. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So around that time is when you learned to practice positive self-talk. Can you tell me about that? Oh, that started when I was little. Oh, okay. Because, um, like I was saying, I was often played alone. Mm-hmm. So I talked to myself a lot. Um, like, especially when um, I was really sad. I always dreamed of, like, maybe... I was like a princess that was stolen somewhere <laughs> and that like my parents must like have lost me. And so I just got to deal with this for a little bit mm-hmm. and I'll get back to where I had to. Right. And what kind of things would you say to yourself? I was like, oh, you got this. You just got to hold on for a little bit, just a little bit longer all the time. And that's kind of carried you through, right? Even now. Mm-hmm. So how did you make it through school? Like you said before that school was a great escape, like you and your siblings loved it. So, But even so, you got a spotty education. So how how did you get through? I just did the work that I had to do. I never got like straight A's or straight or B's. Like I stayed between C's and B's. And then um, when it came to high school, since I moved around a lot, I had to be put into a um, continuation school. And I finished my high school early by doing that. What does that mean, a continuation school? Because you're the first time, that's the first time I've ever heard that. And how many schools were you were you in before that? You were like moving around because of you were in and out of your, your sister's house and your dad's house and then the foster mom. And is that why there were so many different schools? During the time I got put into foster care is when I was moving around a lot. So I went to like one high school and then I got transferred to another one. And then another one, and then I got into foster care. And so that's how. And the continuation schools for students who are running behind in class or like credits or like people who are in the juvenile delinquency. Mm-hmm. But you got through it. Yeah. And I finished early, so I was surprised. <laughs> Good on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then you made it to Santa Monica College, which I, I love. You know, I've I've taken one of the best classes ever in my life at Santa Monica College. I like it a lot. I especially like their animation department. Yeah, so we're going to talk about what you're doing now. But there was somebody that helped you. So can you tell me about her? Um, I got in another fight with my foster mom because she said, oh, you're not going to ever like do things on your own. When you turn 18, you're not moving out of your watch. And since she did that, um, and my birthday was coming up, I started looking into other places to live and other programs and stuff like that. And I would go every day to the DPSS office just to make sure that they're on <laughs> their job. Really? So you would like make sure you were on their radar. You would go to the DCFS office, which had to be far from where you live. Right? Oh, yeah. How- I rode my bike every day, like every day, like at five in the morning, I would get there before anybody 
that was working there get there. Just to make sure that you'd have some alternatives when you aged out at 18. Uh-huh. Wow, that's just amazing. And so did, did you end up in uh, like a transition adult program or, yeah. or, or an ILP or what? Uh, I think it was ILP. That's an independent living program that is arranged for kids as they get older, ideally, to set them up with some kind of support system. It's not always that successful, but did it work for you? Mm, no. Because, um, oh. uh, so they said, oh, we have a place. It's right next to SMC. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Like, it was right across the street. <laughs> and so I was happy. And it was, like, right down by the beach and stuff like that. So I was super happy. Yeah. And yeah. then um, when the day came, it was, like, August 1st. So, like, around this time, I asked my uh, foster mom, could she at least, like, drop me off at my new place? And she was like, oh, no, I have a party to go to. At the time, I thought it was okay. But now that I think back to it, I'm like, what the heck? That she didn't help you. Yeah. Right. I had to carry everything on my back like that I had to where I live. And my bags are ripping. I remember that. And I hated it. Like, it was horrible. So you did it all on your own. You had your stuff in, like, trash bags, trying to schlep them to your new place. Yeah. Nobody helping you? No. Couldn't you ask anybody else for help? Uh -uh. You just, no, there's nobody. Yeah. Yeah, see, I know a lot of kids feel that way. There's all these people that are are on their case, but then ultimately there's no one that really helps them. Mm Mm-hmm. That's how you felt? Yeah. Okay, so what happened? You you got your own place. Yeah. Um, I got to live in this, it was called YWCA. Mm Mm-hmm. And... I stayed there for like a year and then the next year like we found out that somebody bought out our lot where we were living at mm-hmm. and we was asking people to help us keep the place because we need housing and stuff like that Um, we even asked this, an SMC like oh sorry we can't and it comes to find out they were the one that bought out the lot get out yes and they turned it into a parking lot in order to accommodate all those people that could afford a car to drive to school. Yeah. How'd that make you feel? I felt like, I was like, wow, this is, I was thinking like, you think this would happen like in like one of those um, 90 kid shows, mm-hmm. like of these extravagant villains with all the money <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's Santa Monica College. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, how how can I go to the school and they put me out of my house? Okay, I'm not a fan of theirs anymore, by the way. You've just <laughs> turned me. In, in, in about five minutes, you've just turned me. I can't say it's all bad. It's just people with money that are bad. I see, yeah. All right, so what happened? What, what was the next move? I got into another IOP program called, um, was it first place for you? YWCA was the first place. Yeah, and then... um. Oh. The next one, I think it was called First Place for Youth. And this program, they put you in, like, apartments and stuff like that with the roommate and stuff like that. So I lived in that for a little bit. Um, But the first place I got into, it was right next to Skid Row and Figueroa. Downtown. Yeah, it's (gasps) very sketchy. That's totally scary. Yeah, and um, I think this is where I can say, like, I had the most traumatic 
um, which kind of started me on a downhill. So one week, I noticed somebody was following me home, and it really scared me. I told the people, like, hey, I don't think I should live here anymore because I, I work late and I get home late because I work in Santa Monica, but I live in downtown L.A., and I don't have a car or anything, so I have to travel by foot and stuff like that. And so I told them, like, hey, is it possible you can move me and stuff like that? And they was like, oh, no, sorry, we can't right now. Like, he'll probably go away and stuff like that. And then um, one day I decide, I decide not to, um, to w- walk home. I decided to take an Uber home instead because I was super tired. I had a long day before and I go home and I go straight to sleep and the next thing I know I wake up and get ready for school and stuff like that and I rush down and I see a bunch of police tape and comes to find out someone was murdered at the time I would be walking into that gate right outside your door yeah I told them about it and they was like okay we'll help you and then comes to find out the next week um my neighbor he was a pimp and a drug dealer, and he OD'd, and his friends left him there. In the building in which you were living, in which, mm-hmm. which was arranged by the Independent Living Program. That's where they put you. Yeah. Okay, I hope people hear this. This is where they put a young girl. You're like 18 years old. You're mm-hmm. a, a lovely young woman, mm-hmm. but very young, and you grew up in the country, and now you're living on Skid Row with a bunch of criminals and murderers trying to take care of yourself. Yeah. But I don't I don't want to put blame onto the program cuz they're just trying to do the best they can and try to get enough housing for students and trying to make it the safest that they can for students. I don't think they intentionally do this on purpose. They're just trying to make do with what they got. Well, that's pretty gracious of you. <laughs> I mean, I don't- I don't feel that way, but okay. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of money that goes into those programs. And they should be taking care of the kids better. I mean, I know that's not an easy, there's no easy solutions. I appreciate that you're so gracious about it. I aspire to be that way as well, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, keep on going. What happened? Okay, and then they finally moved me out. And they put me in a temporary housing. It was in Highland Park. And I fell in love with Highland Park. And it was during the fall. And I don't know, like, in Highland Park, when the sun sets, it just hits right. Yeah, it's lovely. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. In the hills and, right, and all, like, the buildings shine downtown. And mm-hmm. if you can see them from up high. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's, really, it's really beautiful up there. Yeah. And then... um. Mentally, I was doing bad because I was dealing with all that stuff, and I stopped going outside. I stopped um, doing the stuff I used to do. What about friends? Did you have any friends? Due to my trauma and stuff like that, I have a hard time making friends or keeping friends. Is it hard for you to do this now? Um, no, not necessarily. I just, I don't know, like, I trust the wrong people. And because I hope for the best, and it's a lesson I learned recently, that maybe the reason why I'm always in the same situations is because I 
like to give people the benefit of the doubt, even though they give me warning signs. This is how I am. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, uh, you know, maybe that's just like, you know, everybody's not the best person. So, but yeah, they moved me from the temporary spot. And then I got put into another housing where um, it was back in Santa Monica. It's a gorgeous apartment. They're like old timey, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know. From Probably from the 20s, right? With high ceilings and nice detail, right? Yeah, and everything's yeah. super colorful. Like each yeah. apartment was their own color. Yeah, that's uh, cool. That's where I started to gain a lot of weight because um, I hardly Why? ever went out. I see. So you were becoming agoraphobic and you were afraid to leave and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, um, how's that now for you? It's, it's something I'm currently working on. Right. So does the ILP involve any therapy for you as well? At the time I didn't know much about therapy or how to get it. And how about now? I'm in therapy now. Excellent. Yeah. That's good. But yeah, um, that's when things went really bad. Um, I was having a relationship during that time. It was very toxic. I found out that my step, um, my step sibling, he went to jail for murder of his own child, and that messed me up even more because I'm like, I don't want to like become like that. I don't want my trauma to affect me where, like, I'm hurting somebody else. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. And then my other sibling was getting into drugs and bad relationships and stuff. And then um, I got kicked out of a first place. No, wait. I actually got to meet my real sister through that program. Really? Because we actually lived in the same apartment. How how did you find out she was your real sister? I got to meet her once when I was little, when I was 11, uh, because we ran into my real mother and siblings once, and I got to hang out with them for my 10th birthday. I saw them once again when I was 15, because I got connected to them. But after that, I didn't go see them again. So yeah, that's how I knew it was her. So I got to see her there, but... She was, I don't know, like, our deals wasn't meshing. I see. Mm-hmm. I just started to cut myself off from everyone. And then since I got kicked out of the program, I moved into this art housing for artists. And it was back in Highland Park. And I stayed there for a couple months. But I started to have seizures. Um, because of all the stress. Um, and that's when I found out I was um, diagnosed with epilepsy. I see. And, and you had one last week, too. We we were set to record, but you had to go to the emergency room that morning. Yeah, and I had another one um, Sunday. How are you feeling now? Um, My tongue's still swollen, but everything else is fine. And you think the epilepsy is from stress? Yeah, it's definitely from stress. Because I remember the very first day I had it, I didn't have any money at the time, and I was having trouble with my financial aid. 
and I was panicking because I didn't know like what to do and stuff like that. And I was turning in all my paperwork and then I just black out as I turned in my paperwork and stuff like that. And I ended up in the hospital. Like I was in the ambulance and I was confused. I'm like, what the heck? Is this a dream? Because I have very vivid dreams. So I was confused. But it turned out you were in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So you you told me about you went to a meeting where that kind of changed things around a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. First, I had to move to a, this one program I was in. They said that they would help homeless um, people who are dealing with homelessness, former foster youth, and people are going to college, right? And I was one of the first students who moved in there. I was hopeful. I was ready to make changes and everything. But as things went on, the cracks started to show, and it was during COVID. The first crack was when uh, the whole house caught COVID. And... We all went to the hospital, we all got tested, and me and another student didn't have COVID, but everybody else in the house did. And it was 20 people. The person who was the owner of the house, he ran off to Mexico. He just split? Yeah. And I had to take care of everybody during COVID by myself. Because the, wow. the other student, he was like, oh, I don't have to do this. Like, why do I have to do this? So, um... I just did it for everybody. And were the were people really sick or were some some really sick and some not or Yeah, or? it was like all over the place. I see. Mhm. And um there were some things I wasn't allowed to do anymore and I didn't have any money at the time and it was hard for me to get a job because during COVID there was no jobs being handed out. So um I couldn't get a job, so I couldn't pay rent. So that would anger him, of course. But um, I wasn't allowed to wash my clothes. And I asked him, can I wash it by hand? And he was like, no. So there was a lot of things. like, And then I would constantly get bullied there at the house. People would throw away my food. And so I just started eating out instead, which didn't help me. With my weight either, I started gaining weight even faster, and I stopped like going out, and I was tired of programs at that point. And so my friend, she suggested that I attend this Christmas party by um, a program named Better Youth. It's an amazing program. I really, really love that program. But they were having a Christmas event where they were going to give like gift cards out to students that come. Um, Tiffany Haddish and Tyler, the creator, was going to talk there. Um, at the time, I didn't really want to go. So I was like, oh, I guess, whatever. It's a free gift card for Christmas. Um, so I went, and they asked for questions at the end after everything. They always asked, like, oh, do you have any um, questions? Um, then I said, are you guys really about what you say? Because I've dealt with programs that said they're going to do this, that, and the other, and they don't. And the whole room goes quiet. And then Tyler was like, well, damn, like, are you? And then um, my boss, 
She's like, yeah, 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 I'll show you. Right, so she's your boss now, but at mm-hmm. the time, she was just a, a person there. Yeah. And she said what? She said, okay, watch, I'll show you. And then a week later, she contacts me, and she tells me about how she's starting this program where there's going to be three segments, one for gaming, one for making films, and another for animation. And she was like, I think you'll be best for our animation um, department. And I was like, oh my gosh, what? So I was getting that job. And then um, towards the end of my stay, um, Sid noticed things I was missing. Like I didn't have a phone. I didn't have um, a computer. I didn't have a lot of my necessities. And like I was saying, I like to see the good in people. So I was giving this other program the benefit of the doubt. And I I came to talk to him for the last time, like, hey, this is what I think we need to improve on the program to actually help students. And he got offensive about that. And I kind of planted a seed the day before because I had to figure that he was using students as ears on the wall, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And I said that it was my best friend and the other student like, hey, I'm going to record tomorrow just to, like, show proof that what he's saying to students and stuff. And just to see, like, if it gets through to him. And during our meeting, um, somebody comes running. And the kid was like, oh, she's recording. She's recording. She's recording. Oh, wow. They yeah. snitch. Yeah. yeah. Straight up to prove my point. And I said, this is what I was talking about. I'm not recording anything. I didn't even have my phone with me. And um, he starts freaking out and stuff. He's like, how how dare you record me and stuff? Like, you're going to have to get out of this house. We're not talking anymore and stuff like that. And then I called Sid and said, hey, like, I really need a place. They're having me get out now. So, like, I need something by tomorrow. And so she helped me connect with the lady named Harriet. And she knew a friend that was renting out a small house in the back of her house. And that's how I got to there. And that's, right, and that's where you are now? Mm-hmm. It looks sweet. I see what's behind you. It looks sweet. Yeah. Uh, are, you, are you comfortable there? Uh, things are getting kind of shaky, but I think it's due time for me to move on. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of land on your feet over and over and over again, it seems. Mm-hmm. Even though you've been through some really, really tough times. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about your work because now you're working at Skydance. You're interning in animation. It's, it's like a it's like a big deal. Yeah, I just finished my internship with Skydance, um, but Sid was able to help me with that. So she was like, "Oh, like." hey, like, they're having internships during this time. You should really apply. My mentor, he he worked at Skydance. Um, and I was nervous because I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm, like, good enough to get into here. And luckily for our test, they had us um, talk about a show that we really liked. And I did. And they... They told me that I got in, and I was like, oh, my gosh. 
Yay! <laughs> uh, yeah, and um, because they was like, oh, like, do you have like, because they have animation and then live action, and they was like, oh, like, do you have a preference and stuff like that? Because, um. I don't know what was it that was said, but it got me scared because I was like, oh, if I choose one, then what if they don't have enough space? So I was like, you know what? I'll take any. Um, And so they gave me both. Um, They gave you both? Wow. Yeah. So I was in the live action section and the animation section for like three months. Yeah. But it was really, really fun. And it like really pushed my confidence in what I can do. Um, and how good I am at telling stories and how I'm able to um, understand characters when it comes to scripts and stuff like that. Good on you, huh? Mm -hmm. Really? All right, so you're 25 now, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do you see your future in in terms of of work? Uh, I'm kind of getting depressed. um, You are? Why? Why? Because of my health. Um, I see, yeah. And my living situation right now, like, I can't focus on my health. And I did want to continue with school. Um, I wanted to continue with this one school called Emma Cole. But I don't think I would have enough money to continue with that. Because I would have to pay rent and um, stuff like that. And I can't afford both at the same time. Well, gosh, Brianna, I, I wonder if there's someone out there right now that you know that could help you. I remember one of the guests said really early on, there are people out there that will help you, but you do need to ask. Yeah, because, I mean, a closed mouth don't get fed, so. That's it, exactly. And you've come really far. I mean, if you think about what you've already been through and how well you've advocated for yourself and, and gotten what you needed and all that, don't stop now. You could have a really cool career in animation, have your own show and have your own series. Really, you can make a really good living and have fun because you love it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that makes a big difference if you really love what you do. Yeah. Right. So right now, do you have medical insurance? Uh, yes. Um, but I was worried um, because since I'm turning 26 soon that it will cut off and I don't know what to do and I don't have a full-time job so I can't get Medi-Cal. But now they changed it. Uh-huh. Cuz yeah. now we're getting free healthcare, I think up to 65. Excellent. I'm s- starting January, so Excellent. Uh, yeah. Okay, so but but also if you get a full-time job and you might because you're I'm sure you're really talented and now you're really well trained, you could get full-time job with benefits mm. as an animator yeah or working for an art department or in some kind of creative venue mm. you can figure that out you know yeah i'm pretty sure i can yeah but i i appreciate what you said a little while ago that you need to focus on getting well too mm-hmm. we can drive a broken car to your destination so <laughs> No, that's really hard to do. So, as you think about who you are now and what everything you've been through, how do, how do you feel about that? Um, I have my on and off days. Like, some days, I think, is it even really worth it, you know? 
I mean, is it really worth it to, like, work most of my life just to, like, get 10 years of, like, staying in a bed in some retirement home? You know, is it really worth it? But then sometimes I think back to the things I've gone through. And if I just give up now, then I'm letting them win in a way. Yeah, and and we know you're really good at that positive self-talk. So I think you need to kick that in gear. Yeah. Let me hear something right now. Because <laughs> uh, I'm going to say it too for myself, okay? Um, Whatever you say, I'm going to say for myself. I can do it. I can do it. That I shouldn't let anything hold me down. I should not let anything hold me down. And the only thing that controls the path in my life is myself. The only thing that controls the path in my life is myself. That's it. Thank <laughs> you for that. After this recording, I'm going to I'm going to repeat those same things to myself tonight as I'm going to sleep at night so that I can practice positive self-talk cuz I need that too. Yeah, I think everybody needs that. Everybody does, yeah. So I want to ask you one more thing that I ask all my guests, and this might be a little bit hard, but I want you to think about it. What is the one thing that no one would ever know about you unless you told them? There is one thing. Um, I think people do catch on a little bit, but they don't like... I'm a person that masks, if that makes sense. Like, um, Yeah, you mask your emotions? No, like, I mask who I am. Like, I change, like, different masks. Oh. Like, yeah, with certain people, I can be super quiet. I don't talk a lot. And then with other people, I can be super puppy-like, like a childish. So you adopt different personas depending on who you're with. Mm-hmm. And you do that as a coping mechanism, you think? Yeah. In order to protect yourself, in order to relate to people, what? Yeah, to protect myself. And you feel you need to do that to protect yourself? It's just out of habit. Um, and that's something I recently find out. Like, to some people that do, like, kind of figure it out, they're like, oh, like, you seem so happy, but, like, but it seems like there's a wall. So when with people, like, even though I'm smiling or I'm um, happy and laughing, like, they feel the wall. Like, there's nothing there behind yeah, I, I I totally get that. And I I might have guessed that because I see something in that that's true as we're speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're smiling and laughing a lot, but I see that there's this kind of like a distance. Mm. Yeah. Maybe you need that right now to protect yourself. Yeah. But I think it does get in the way of my relationships with people. Right, because people want to connect. Mm-hmm. And if they feel like you put up a wall, then they have less incentive to connect with you. Yeah. Okay, so if you had to name a couple things that you're going to do in the next few days to make yourself feel better and improve the situation of your life for for now, what would those things be? Because I'm going to call you tomorrow and I'm going to make <laughs> sure that you're doing them. Um, 
One is definitely drawing. I've kind of been falling off that, and I've been losing hope in that, but I recently feel like, no, I can do this. This is what I want to do. This is what my calling. Like, I just remember the times I would spend hours and hours just drawing just to get to where I'm at now. Yeah, and you get into a zone, right? And you mm-hmm. feel really good, yeah. Okay, what other thing? Um, I'm going to still work on my housing, look for new places to live. Excellent, okay. And what's one more thing? Uh, To help with my health, I'm going to see my neurologist on Thursday. Yeah, baby. There <laughs> we go. <laughs> Listen, it's really nice talking to you, Brianna. I, I think you're you're on your way to a really good path. You're going to do it. Mm -hmm. You're going to do it for yourself. Yeah. And just remember, there are other people out there. There are people out there that want to help you. So go ask them. Okay. All right. And I might have some ideas for you, too. I'm going to talk to you offline about that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Brian, for sharing your story with us and for being resilient in the face of a struggling foster care system. But... Thanks to Better Youth and Sid Stewart for listening to you and making a difference. Keep pursuing those dreams and stay healthy. Thanks again. Next week, we'll hear from Emmy Neatfeld. Emmy is the author of Acceptance, a new memoir from Penguin Press and an Amazon Best Book of August 2022. Emmy spent her teens in foster care, hospitals, and residential treatment centers and endured stints of homelessness, too. But through a lot of hard work, she made it to Harvard and then worked as a software engineer at Google and Facebook. So join us next week for Emmy Neatfeld. Thanks for listening, and be well. If you see something, say something. If you suspect a child's health or safety is jeopardized in any way by parents or anyone else, contact the Child Protective Services Agency in your county. 24-hour hotlines are staffed by trained social workers who will help you through the process, and you can do so anonymously. In California, you can call the Child Protection Hotline at 800-540-4000. So if you see something, say something. You might be saving a child's life. If you want to know more about becoming a CASA anywhere in the country, go to nationalcasagal.org. And in L.A., casala.org. And if you want to know more about becoming a foster parent, check out the National Foster Parent Association at nfponline.org. There's also faithfosterfamilies.org and adoptuskids.org. There's tons of other information online as well, so you can just hunt around. We also want to thank the supremely talented Christina Apostolopoulos for her beautiful original music. You can find her music on Spotify or Instagram at Christina Aposta. And also thank you to Yukon Har for his engineering. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear and you find it as valuable as we do, please rate us and hit subscribe. You can also make a donation at bonusbabies.org. See you next time.